So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money, episode 1459, how to make really good high stakes decisions this year with Myra Strober and Abby Davison, authors of the new book, Money and Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Big Decisions. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Once you have someone whose advice and opinion you trust, you can actually use them as a bit of a shortcut yeah. to say like, help me understand how you thought about this question. It's not necessarily what should I do, but okay, you made the decision to move recently. Help me understand how you thought about that. Welcome to So Money, everybody. We're kicking off a new week of the new year by exploring what it takes to make a really good decision. You know, this year, like any year, is going to be 365 days of us facing all sorts of decisions, big and small. But today we're going to focus on those big ones. Like, should I quit? Should I take the new job? Should I get married, get divorced, have kids, start a business, focus on maybe paying down debt instead of saving? All of these really high stakes decisions that at first can feel very paralyzing without a roadmap. And that's where my guests come in. My guests today are going to teach us how to make these very big, important decisions with confidence and real alignment with who we are and our values. We're welcoming Stanford professor Myra Strober and social innovation leader Abby Davison. They are co-authors of a new book that comes out tomorrow. It's called Money and Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Big Decisions. Myra and Abby and I, we talk about how to make the best decisions when, frankly, you are tired of making decisions. Decision fatigue is a real thing. How do we reconcile with it? How to know who to consult with? Who are the real experts in our lives? The two authors have an original step-by-step method using what they call the five C's, clarify, communicate, choices, check-in, and consequences to help us combine both head and heart in a balanced and fulfilling way. Here's Myra Strober and Abby Davison. Abby Davison and Myra Strober, welcome to So Money. I'm really excited to dive into your new book, Money and Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. And what a year it's going to be for big decisions. Welcome to the show. Thank you. We're excited to be here. This book, when I when it came across my desk, the the information about your book, I was so eager to connect with the two of you, especially in the context of what well, many are predicting is going to be a recession, and there's still a lot of lingering economic insecurities from 2022, whether it's people who've lost their jobs or worried about losing their jobs, inflation. And so we're going to talk about making big decisions, which includes money decisions, but also rela- decisions related to partnership and relationships and career. And you have in your book presented a formula, which is road tested. Maybe we can start with the roots of this book and how you road tested it. And this started as a Stanford course. So I taught this course at Stanford. Um, I'm Myra, and I am the professor. Abby was a student in my class, 
as was her husband, who wasn't her husband then, but became her husband. And so um, they have road tested the course (laughs) in their lives personally. But I taught the course at Stanford for about 40 years. And uh, when I was about to retire, I had lunch with Abby and told her that I'd been thinking about writing a book now that I was no longer going to teach the class. And I hadn't done anything about it. I was just thinking about writing a book. Mm -hmm. And she uh, said that she thought I needed an accountability partner, make sure that I write this book. And as soon as she said that, I thought, no, what I need is a co-author. And Abby, I need you to be my co-author. So right then and there at lunch at this beautiful little cafe outdoors on a gorgeous August afternoon, I asked Abby to uh, be my co-author. And she answered right away uh, and said yes. So that's the origin. Mm -hmm. And then Abby can tell you a little bit about road testing. Thank you. Abby, you took this with your husband. What was your expectation going into the program, into the course, and, and what were your results? And what did you learn mostly? Well, before I took the course, I was like many people in their early and mid-20s, um, finding myself really struggling making the big life decisions that you make at that time. Should I move to this new city that I want to live in, even if I don't have a job? Or is this person that I'm dating someone I should be really serious about? Is this the one? And what I didn't know at the time, but was the light bulb moment in Myra's class, is that the reason I was struggling is that we are taught to make these decisions in a really flawed way. We're taught to think about money decisions with our head and be very logical about them. We're taught to think about relationship decisions with our heart and really compartmentalize them. And the truth is that all of life's biggest decisions involve both money and love. And so this conventional wisdom to keep them separate does us a real disservice. And so it was in Myra's class, as she mentioned, when I was, uh, I took it with my then boyfriend, we met in business school. So we'd been dating about a year at the time and we were about to graduate and we had to decide, are we going to look for jobs in the same city? If we end up in that city, in the same city, are we going to live together? And these are really daunting discussions to have, even if you've had many more than, you know, just one year of a relationship under your belt. And Myra's course forced us in a gentle and supportive way to have really scary conversations that became the foundation and underpinning for what's now been 13 years Mm -hmm. of marriage. And so, and two young kids and multiple job and career changes. And so she's right when she said, you know, we've really road tested it and it has not been a smooth road. It's been like a bumpy road. We've been in a Jeep with potholes and mudslides. And so uh, we can very much attest to the fact that the the framework works. Mm. I want to touch on the thing that you said about the fear and how it's scary. What are people most afraid of when it comes to big decisions? Is it the regret? Is it the potential financial failure? Um, Because often what you could see is someone, you know, in in the absence of making a decision, they make no decision, which I always say is a decision. Not making a decision is actually a decision. You're not going to get away with it. Um, But what is the fuel behind the fear? People don't have a framework for doing this. It's all kind of revolving around their heads. Should I talk about X? Should I talk about Y? Which one should I talk about first? How should I do it? When should I do it? 
And so what the course has given them and now what the book gives people is a framework, a flexible but sturdy framework for making these decisions. And what you need to do first before you talk to anybody, uh, especially someone that you're thinking you may be partners with for the rest of your life, uh, is to clarify your own preferences, your own wishes, your own hopes and dreams, so that you know what it is you want from a relationship. And ditto what you want from um, from your financial uh, relationships. Why are you investing? Clarify what it is that you want from your partner, from your investments, from your life. What is it that you want? Mm-hmm. Now, of course, you'll be changing your mind over time, especially as you listen to your partner or potential partner. But if you start out by yourself clarifying, that relieves some of the fear people have. Right. And and I want to touch on this structure that you have created, this this methodology, this the five C's. You touched on clarify. So important in the beginning of a, maybe making a decision about a relationship or a job or buying a home. Like, you know, what are your, I guess what I'm hearing from you is like understanding what your expectations are, what your needs are in any of those scenarios. Then you also talk about communication. Communicating is also important. Choices is the third C. Can you talk a little bit about what that entails? What are you encouraging people to explore there? Well, let me just go back for one second to to answer the question that I didn't really answer, which is what is it that people fear? And I think they fear that they're going to make a big mistake, that the stakes are so high and they're going to do it in some sense wrong. Um, And then they're going to have regrets, you know, for some period of time, maybe even for the rest of their life. So that's what happens. People have very high stakes and no framework uh, on which to hang their um, their ideas. And I would add, people don't like to sit in uncertainty, right? Humans have a bias yeah. for not being uncomfortable, which is evolutionarily makes sense. <laughs> and we find ourselves, when we're in the midst of these decisions, in in limbo, essentially, kind of not, mm-hmm. uh, and we want to get to the other deci- side of the decision as quickly as possible, uh, which which is not always the best approach. And so to your question about choices, the reason that I love that particular step is that when we're in the midst of a decision, we get tunnel vision. So we tend to create these false binaries for ourselves. Should I marry this person or should I break up with them? Should I splurge on this new car or should I continue to take public transportation? And there are, the truth is a lot of places in between the two extremes that you can go. And frankly, the more choices that you um, have, the more that you're likely to find one that actually lets you have your cake and eat it too. And so the idea behind the choices step is generating as many alternatives as possible so that you broaden your set of alternatives and you're not thinking so narrowly about, is it just A or is it B? Mm-hmm. But you know, Abby, I've read a lot. And I'm sure you've come across this, this data uh, where too many choices can actually backfire, where 
in this case, we're talking about maybe life's decisions and the different avenues we can pursue. But maybe I'm talking, I think in, in the context of like consumer choices where you walk into a department store and there's 800 different like televisions or lipsticks or, you know, that that actually, we think that more choice equals more opportunity and we feel a little bit more empowered. We can choose something that really fits our style, but we're not really good at making decisions. And so that can sometimes again, create paralysis. And so how do you kind of reconcile with that so that you're not overwhelming yourself with all these choices? No, it's such a good good point. And definitely the paradox of choice is real. And uh, that's why the clarify step comes first, right? Mm. Rather than just saying, okay, what are all the possible choices and how can I pursue all of them? before you even get to the stage of brainstorming choices, you do the really um, intense, sometimes introspection that's required to say, actually, what are the choices and the, the dreams that I care about? Not the ones that my parents maybe had for me or that society tells me I should want or that even all my friends are doing. But truly in my heart of hearts, and often these are really linked to values, right? The the personal values mm-hmm. that you hold close. What are the things that are truly important to me? And then that helps you cut through and cull through some of those choices so that you're not trying to, you know, pursue all the jobs out there or, you know, date, you know, many, many people until you find, you know, the one, uh, which we think right. is a false concept anyway. <laughs> I want to touch on um, some of the more of the mistakes that we sometimes make when we're making decisions. So um, you mentioned, Abby, sometimes consulting with people that really don't have a stake in the matter. Like I have my brother, God bless him. You know, he's a great decision maker, but sometimes he um, consults with like 20 different people over a decision that, you know, maybe he should just talk to one person or two people. And so how do we identify the right people to consult with? We shouldn't always turn maybe our parents, right? Or our best friend, because while they love us, maybe they don't understand what we're really, what are, they're not clear to use your formula on what is important to us. They're clear on what's important to them and that can create confusion. So maybe Myra, you can talk a little bit about that problem, because I think so often we lean on our loved ones for guidance and and where else are, should we best turn to? Uh, this is a very important question about who you should use to check in with. And I think you have to ask yourself exactly the kind of questions that you're suggesting. Does this person have such strong opinions about this and is a type of person not able to distinguish you know, his own preferences from mine. But the other thing you have to do is tell the person that you're checking in with what your preferences are. And hopefully it's a person who understands that we're talking about your preferences and not theirs. And um, that's why the clarify step is so important. Clarify what it is you want and then Mm -hmm. check in. But Prior to that, you want to have communication with the person who's involved with you in this decision. So your potential partner, uh, your spouse, if you're talking about how many children to have. um, And you want to get their opinion as well. And so this is like a long-term dance 
You clarify your opinion and then your partner listens to that and hopefully has clarified his or her opinion (laughs) and the two of you talk. And as you talk, each of you might change your opinion based on Mm -hmm. what the other has to say. So as Abby said, this is not something to get done, you know, by 11 o'clock in the morning. Uh, When you decide that you're going to have these conversations, you want to choose a time and a place where it's private, where you have enough time for each of you to say what it is you want to say. And the main thing you want to do is listen. Mm -hmm. Listen. People think of communication as talking, but it's only partly talking. The other part is listening. Mm Mm-hmm. In your book, and I actually took the quiz on your website, and it turns out that I am, uh, what is it? Let me see if I can find it. I'm a balanced decider, which I was pleased with. I don't know what I, comparatively what that means, but um, I got the, I got, as a result of taking your quiz, you sent me uh, a list of sort of do's and don'ts when you're making decisions. And one was do not make a decision um, urgently or without giving yourself proper time, which speaks to what you just said, Myra, about, you know, this isn't something to just sort of like rush to get it over by a deadline. These big decisions require nurturing and revisiting and all of that. Um, but I mean, let's just think about the pandemic, right? So many of us were forced to make really quick decisions out of necessity, out of health necessity, right? Moving away from a, an area that wasn't safe, um, for example. Um, And so any advice for when life does throw you a curveball and you kind of have to make a really quick decision, is there a shortcut or a shorthand for the five C's or is there one really overarching C (laughs) that you think can help to uh, make, help you make those decisions when time doesn't feel like is on your side? If there is an overarching C, it is clarify. I think the more that you know what's important to you and your values, the better off you are for every subsequent decision that comes after. But you're right that the pandemic forced us to make so many big decisions in rapid fire fashion. And that's why we're all collectively exhausted. <laughs> I think that we are just, you know, right. still... And we don't want to make any more decisions. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're really done. Decision we fatigue is real and it keeps coming, right? It, we're, we're just, you know, now that remote work is on the table, now that, you know, there are some other constraints that have been lifted, we do have a bit more space to step back and make some of those maybe decisions that weren't available to us before. But... You know, it's so important, too, to think about thinking back about your check-in question. What questions really do uh, benefit from having more check-ins? And we know there's research, for example, that when you're looking for a job, it's our weak ties that help us, right? It's like your friend of a friend of a friend's dog walker's roommate, because those are the people who are not in your circle, who know people you don't. But and are you know it's actually good to tell them the types of things you're looking for because they can give you new information. There are other decisions, for example, like when to have a child, whether to have a child, whether to have more than one child, that you might not want to get your aunt's hairdresser's uh, photographer's input on, right? Like those are right. not helpful questions to get everyone 
to weigh in on. So mm-hmm. thinking about the type of decision it is and, you know, as a as a balanced decider yourself, you know, it sounds like you have some experience leaning on others who have maybe mm-hmm. done the research on something. And once you have someone whose advice and opinion you trust, you can actually use them as a bit of a shortcut yeah. to say like, help me understand how you thought about this question. It's not necessarily what should I do, but okay, you made the decision to move recently. Help me understand how you thought about that. What were some of the criteria mm-hmm. that you that you considered um, when you made that? And so that can help get your wheels turning in a way that isn't asking them to weigh directly in on the particular question in your mind. Yeah. I'm a member of a parent Facebook group in our community. And while I love it, mostly just to read everybody else's issues and see, you know, um, take inventory of, of everyone else's concerns and, and maybe reference them later for myself. But I can see where, especially in the field of parenting, there are so many different points of view, different philosophies. Um, same with money, same with career, same. And so while I appreciate, you know, community chat boards and social media for feedback and for insights, you have to take it with a grain of salt, right? You you have to just sort of know that that everyone's coming from a different vantage point. I also want to hear what your thoughts are on consequences, which is the last of the C's. Is that just, now I haven't read the book yet, but is that where you evaluate how things went, or you predict what the consequences are going to be. And some consequences you might be okay with. It's almost relative. What is your instruction around consequences? Well, consequences uh, looks like a pre-mortem, not a post-mortem. Okay. So what we are suggesting you do is think about what are the likely consequences of the decision you are about to make. And we suggest that you think about both the short-term consequences and the longer-term consequences because Mm -hmm. they may not be the same. So let's say you're thinking of moving to a new community uh, to take a new job or not, and you have a child in elementary school, and you think that this child is going to be very upset at the notion of leaving her friends and moving. Um, And then you know that the school she's likely to go to in this new community is going to be a much better school than the one she's in now. So the short-term consequences are probably that she's going to be unhappy. The long-term consequences may be very positive. She may get a better Mm -hmm. education than she would have had you stayed. So this is all to be considered in making the decision. And one of the things we find in talking to people who've used this framework, especially my former students, is that using this framework and doing this kind of pre-mortem gives you confidence in your decision. If you've thought about what the likely consequences are and you are accepting of those consequences to some degree, Uh, you have more confidence that you're making the right decision. And is it to suggest that sometimes even when you anticipate failure, that sometimes a move is still worth it because you will learn a lot or it will almost like, I mean, anything could fail, right? A relationship could fail, a job prospect could fail, a business could fail. And so we should really work, like almost envision that. We don't want to, we don't want to think about failure, but how do we work in, our relationship with failure and the fear around failure into this into this decision making process. How do we 
you said before <laughs> that life throws us curveballs all the time, which we right. you know, certainly agree with. And we all saw very up close the last two years. And so it's not to say that um, using this framework will uh, be a silver bullet or a magic wand and everything will go perfectly according to plan. I mean, far from it. That's certainly what we all know from experience. But what we do know is that um, doing some of that pre-thinking, right, imagining what could go wrong does help us create a plan B and a plan C and a plan D, which we often need to go to. But it also um, creates this sense of, okay, I've done my best, right? I have really done the work required to make this decision in the best way possible. And now I'm releasing myself from holding tight to the outcome, right? Right. And that's um, sometimes I think when we jump into the decision and we make it in haste or out of fear or discomfort, like that's when we really need it to work. And it's when we, when, when it doesn't work, that's what leads to regret. If you go in eyes wide open, and this was what was so beautiful about Myra's class, it was like all of these big life decisions that, you know, when you're, when you're early in life, you don't think about elder care, divorce, like no one gets married thinking that they might ultimately get a divorce, Mm -hmm. but that sometimes it does happen. And by being prepared, by hearing how other people have handled those situations, you have a bit more of a sense of what could happen. And and therefore, you're actually more informed and more um, prepared for those possible results. And you're also more at peace with yourself because yeah. you've engaged in this process and you know you've done your best. Mm-hmm. And my father used to have a saying, which I still love, which is do your best Angels can't do better. And so if you've done your best to make this decision, you know, go with it. Yeah. And I just want to say it's very courageous to make a decision. It takes a lot, right? It takes a lot of, it takes a lot of faith. It takes a lot of study. It takes a lot of hope and, and you, you hope that maybe also you have a little bit of luck along the way. And I think that's where the angels come in. Certainly. And I think we putting your true wishes out there is very vulnerable. Right. And that's, so t- that's a word. Yeah. It makes you vulnerable. It makes you vulnerable. It makes it hard. Even, you know, when my husband and I were having these conversations to say like, yes, I do want to try to see what a life together would be like. I mean, that's scary, even with somebody who, you know, you know, also cares about you. So there is this sense of the fear comes from, the vulnerability and and the way that we can best manage that vulnerability is to be as thoughtful as possible in the way that we approach mm-hmm. these decisions. And as you say, this is a flexible way to approach decision-making, which I think is a breath of fresh air because we often think of decision-making too as sort of like black or white, rigid, you make the decision and you have to, you know, hope for the best. It's uh, it's all out of your hands at that point, but that you really put the power back in the decision maker's hands to say like, this is a journey. You know, I love what you said, Myra, about this isn't like a decision that has a deadline. You have to make it and then give up on it. You have to really nurture it and keep revisiting it. Um, and I do think as parting advice for our listeners who a lot of us are maybe in the earlier stages of our careers, 
that what you said about having, you know, that clarity and clarifying your values is hard when you're just starting out. Like a lot of times I find that young people haven't taken, haven't done the homework of like figuring out what's important to them, exclusive of what is important to their friends and family and all the other influences, because it can be really hard these days to feel independent and to be, to be brave in that. And so I guess that's why you put that first in the exercise. It's got to be first. (laughs) And I think there are some like, not to say tricks, uh, but one thing that I actually love as a way to figure out what's important to you is pay attention to what you get angry about. Like what, when you're reading a story, are you, you know, in a, a newspaper or on social media, you're like, that's not okay. Like, I'm really annoyed about that. Like, what is that that's touching a nerve that is connected to a value that you might hold really close? And for me, like, that's always been about equity. So when things feel unfair or unequal, in Myra's class, I learned how people who work part-time make less per hour than people who work full-time and they actually have fewer benefits and fewer opportunities to advance. And that is not fair. And so it's actually shaped how I continued my career after I had kids. I always thought I would work part-time once I had kids. That's what I saw my mom do. But having this information in Myra's class made me realize, no, like I don't want to do that because that's not fair. And I I shifted my whole approach to my career once I became a parent. I appreciate that, Abby Davison and Myra Strober. Thank you so much for joining us. Your book again is called Money and Love, an Intelligent Roadmap for Life's Biggest Decisions. Everybody can learn more at moneylovebook.com. Dot com and take that quiz. That was interesting. I, I learned a little bit about myself and I was stuck on some of those questions. I don't think I've really thought deeply about how I do make decisions, but it's worth the exercise. Thank you. Thanks so much, Farnoosh. Thank you. Thanks so much to Myra and Abby for joining us again. Their book is called Money and Love, an intelligent roadmap for life's biggest decisions. You can learn more about their work and the book at moneylovebook.com. I'll see you back here on Wednesday and I hope your day is so money.